the volume. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Prime Cuts, the best of the Colin Coward podcast. Great week. ESPN College football analyst Kirk Herbstreit gets serious about Jim Harbaugh and about former Buckeye Justin Fields and his chances of success in Chicago. YouTuber turned boxer Jake Paul talks about Floyd Mayweather, his fight against Tyron Woodley this weekend. It's great. My go-to guy for Packers info, Tyler Dunn, had some really interesting sourcing on Aaron Rodgers. But first, my top takes of the week. Stories only get out when somebody wants them out. So they leaked a story that they were unhappy with the confusion with Cam Newton. What they're telling you is either he's unvaxxed, which if you're a quarterback, that's totally irresponsible. Quarterback's all about sacrificing for the team. Or it's telling you they want to give everybody a heads up. So when and if they do make a move to Mac Jones, this COVID confusion was not on them. It was Cam Newton's mistake. That story only leaks because the Patriots want it out. How many things have we read about the Patriots? Seth Wickersham has a new book, and we never heard about him. Not 20-year secrets. Yet Cam Newton, two days after the COVID confusion, it's out in the press. They leaked it. Because they're telling you, when we move off him, he screwed up again. He got it last year. He got it this year. Remember last year, Patriot players weren't getting COVID. There were certain protocols. They were very strict. The NFL was strict. The Patriots were the most strict. Cam's the star that got it. So this this is all setting up. And I think it's interesting. I'm looking at all these other quarterbacks coming in. Just a memo to all the Cam fanboys. Justin Fields is a far better prospect than Cam Newton was. Cam Newton was the number one pick. So was Baker Mayfield. Trevor Lawrence is a far better prospect than Cam Newton. Cam was a junior college guy, had problems at Florida, transferred to Auburn. And, you know, he was a wrecking ball. He was a power running quarterback. We've never really had those. And I think he deserves all the commercials and all the fame. He he was wildly entertaining. He was polarizing. He was easy to root for or against. But as as his future and his career winds down, It goes back to something that I've always believed. Your life traits will determine your longevity. Now, it's very obvious. Just think about this. Cam Newton's 32. He is at the end of the road. 
There was no market for him. Russell Wilson is 32. He has 10 years left. That's what I say about Westbrook. Westbrook's 32. You can see the end of the road. Four teams, four years. Steph Curry's 33. He just signed a max contract and should have been MVP. So it's those traits. Cam had lousy traits. His mechanics were bad. He wasn't easy to coach. He was at times indifferent. He was distracted. He had multiple interests. I just never understood the complete, utter coddling of Cam Newton. And so when the story breaks that the Patriots are unhappy with Cam, they're telling you they're tired of his shit. So here's my takeaway on what I watched last night between the New Orleans Saints and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's start with the Saints. Jameis Winston is a starting quarterback in the NFL. I never thought he was a great fit in Tampa, which was a fairly dysfunctional organization. He came into the league highly immature, but super talented. He needed a less chaotic environment. And I also thought Bruce Arians was a difficult fit for him. Uh, Jameis's judgment on the field and off has never been his strength. And Bruce Arians is more of a big play coach. Um, in fact, Brady, Tom Brady, had lots of issues early with Bruce Arians' style. It is not highly efficient. It's an over-the-top style. So I think Jameis is going to be rewarded with Sean Payton, who is the best teacher to me in the NFL offensively. Now, I think Andy Reid's the best play designer. I think Sean Payton could be the best teacher. They're both great. I think it's a better fit. Now, now Sean Payton, like Bruce Arians, can be very emotional. Um, you know, I, I would love a little more static, a personality, a Frank Reich could be perfect for Jameis Winston, but I think Sean Payton understands this is not a Saints team with a ton of deep threats with Michael Thomas out. Um, they're not going to put a playbook together and game plans, uh, to make Jameis Winston carry the football team. This is a good defense. It's well coached. It's an excellent offensive line. They've got a running game and they've been mostly a detail oriented, efficient offense, not a big play offense in New Orleans for the last three or four years with Drew Brees. And let's be honest about this. What do we say about rookie quarterbacks? They need a year in the system before they play. Jameis Winston's been in the system for a year. I think he's going to shock people. I think he's going to win this job. I thought he played really well in the first half last night. I think he's a big, strong guy who has shown me a, a willingness to be coached, to take a small salary. He's reshaped his body. I think he's going to surprise people. I think everybody's waiting for Matt Stafford to blow the league up with the Rams. Well, I would argue the Saints have a better offensive line. And now, because of Cam Akers' injury, a better running game. They just have an older offensive coach. The Rams have Sean McVay. Watch Jameis Winston put together a really highly productive season with fewer mistakes. I don't love his judgment, but I think he's always thrown a beautiful deep ball, an incredibly catchable football. I just thought Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers were an odd fit. The Saints are very structured, very smart highly efficient, and I think Sean Payton's a very strong fit for Jameis Winston, who should get the job, and I think will flourish with the team. Let's go to the Jaguars. So Urban Meyer gets hired. This is a really, really rough spot. The Jaguars, you can argue, don't have a single elite unit. In fact, I don't think it's an argument. Trevor Lawrence is going to play under dress for virtually every snap. They have no identity. That's going to take time. So you know, people are concerned about Urban Meyer. I'm not. He hired a lot of guys, Brian Schottenheimer, Daryl Bevel, who've been around the NFL for 20 plus years. I don't worry about that. What I worry about is this team finding an offensive identity. Now, Trevor Lawrence had a couple of nice third down pickups and a drive with about six, seven minutes left in this second quarter. He's big. He's strong. He's got great feet. He moves well. He's really a gifted player. But I find it really hard to evaluate Trevor Lawrence. This is a bad football team. Um, it, it's it's a five or six win team, and that's mostly because they're in the same division with the Houston Texans. If you put this team in the NFC West, they wouldn't win a division game. You know, it was coincidental last night. Both Jameis Winston and Trevor Lawrence are from the ACC, and both were highly productive in the ACC. But it really illustrates where you land matters 
A lot of people gave up on Jameis Winston. And yet last night, behind an excellent offensive line, an organization that lacks chaos, a very talented roster, Jameis Winston looked really, really comfortable. The more highly touted prospect, Trevor Lawrence, has landed with a rookie head coach and an egregiously bad roster. And he looked rattled and was running around, although very talented. We talk about this all the time. Where do you land? Where do you land? I want to talk Niners Chargers, which most of you, I imagine, watch Sunday night. Um, I thought Easton Stick, the Chargers backup, was the best quarterback on the field. Uh, You know, Jimmy Garoppolo obviously has an injury issue, and that's well documented. You know, one of the things Garoppolo also struggles with, and this is fairly common knowledge for anybody that watches the Niners, is he's hot and cold with his accuracy. I thought his accuracy was really poor in, in the drive that I watch with Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's why Kyle Shanahan, a couple of years ago, in that drive of the Super Bowl, took the football out of his hands. You know, Garoppolo is not talented enough to stave off Trey Lance if Trey Lance had played an entire year of college football. But Trey Lance, of all the young quarterbacks, to me, looks the most overwhelmed and uneven. Now, remember, that's important. Because Trey Lance has arguably the best offensive coach of all the rookie quarterbacks and the best offensive line of all the rookie quarterbacks, and he's struggled the most. This all comes down to a kid who just simply has not played football in two years. And when he did play, it was not a quarterback-reliant offense. It was very much the Alabama of that division of football. Alabama's won national titles with quarterbacks that have not been drafted have not even signed unrestricted free agent contracts. That's North Dakota State. So, you know, when when I look at Trey Lance, I see a really big, strong, talented athlete. But even with Kyle Shanahan, those weapons and that offensive line, he's not ready to play. Zach Wilson's ready to play. Uh, Justin Fields is ready to play. Trevor Lawrence is going to be ready to play. Uh, Mac Jones, I think it's good enough, his accuracy and understanding of New England's playbook. He's ready to play. There's a lower ceiling. I don't think Trey is ready to play at all. And that's the toughest division in football. So that's a real issue. So Garoppolo is going to be the starter. But having watched San Francisco now for a couple of preseason games, I'm selling a little stock. They're a little uneven. Garoppolo's accuracy remains an issue. And Trey, of all the young quarterbacks, I mean, let's be honest, Trey Lance should be the most effective of all these young quarterbacks. Justin Fields in Chicago has a regrettable offensive line in front of him. Trevor Lawrence has a bad roster. Zach Wilson has a bad roster. Trey Lance should be crushing this, and he's just not ready. Easton Stick was a significantly more poised quarterback in that game last night. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With that, let's bring on Kirk Herbstreet. When you talked to Urban Meyer and Ryan Day about Justin Fields, what were the early conversations like the first time they got a look at him? It was, I talked really more with Ryan. Uh, it, it was more of big eyes. They just came off of Dwayne Haskins, who was a first rounder, and they were like, this guy's just different, you know? And, and more importantly, he came into a situation where they needed a quarterback. They just lost a, a kid who probably should have stayed another year in college. He should have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He needed another year. So they were in a jam. And what they loved was he'd never been to the North. He comes up in a very unfamiliar setting with a lot of tradition, has his hat in his hand, and is very gracious in how he won the team over. And immediately it became obvious that he was the guy. And he picked up, he's a hard worker. He's cerebral. He put in the time away from the facility to pick up the offense. They were probably more impressed with his willingness to, to, to work and his willingness to learn the system and, and be a good teammate than they were, oh my God, look at that throw. Or, oh my God, look how physical and athletic this kid is. So, You know, Kirk, that reminds me of when Russell Wilson went NC State to Wisconsin. Yeah, very similar. Two months later, he was a unanimous captain in two months. You know, it, it was it was that kind of thing, which goes back to what you said earlier. He gets in front of the podium. He knows how to handle himself. That's why leading into the draft, I was getting a little bit feisty, and I normally don't do that. It's not like an Ohio State thing. When people were critical of Dwayne Haskins, with all due respect to Dwayne, I, I wasn't like defending him. With Justin Fields, I was kind of getting frustrated because things that were being said about him weren't true. And, right. and you know how that is with the draft. You know, there's always bogus information out there. But they were talking about last one there, first one to leave kind of stuff. And I was like, that, I've known this kid for three years. It's complete opposite. This kid is off the charts when it comes to intangibles. Kids off the chart when it comes to commitment. And I don't know where people are getting this, but it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. And he, I think he slid a little bit because of some of that noise. And the Bears were lucky enough to pick him up later than I thought he would have gone. I, I don't know how you 6'3", 225 can run, played in huge games. And they were nitpicking, like, did you see him in the second half against Indiana? Did you see him in that Big Ten championship against Northwestern? It's like, I mean, yeah. Did you see him in the Clemson game? I mean, <laughs> how, how do you want to, like, break it down? The kid has more good than bad. So we'll see. But I, I'll be shocked if – I love that Andy Dalton they announced he's going to be the starter. That's fine. But eventually, this kid is is a can't-miss prospect in my mind. You know, I, I've said this multiple times, that I always thought you were almost too fair to Michigan. And I, and I, and I have Troy Aikman um, and you, because you have such prominent platforms and are so beloved, 
that Troy makes sure that people know he'll be critical of the Cowboys, yeah. and he is. Yeah. And I, I told you this before. I said, you're almost too nice to Michigan because you don't want to be seen as a homer, which you're not. If you, 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 can't, you would have no idea you play at Ohio State if you listened and didn't know. Um, Harbaugh is interesting. I have been a fan and been supportive. But I, I think here's been my argument to support Jim, despite the fact that he can't beat Ohio State and he's one in four in bowl games. So my takeaway is this. Well, who does beat Ohio mm -hmm. State? Ohio State's a better program than Michigan. Oklahoma's a better program than Texas. It's more committed. So let's take the Ohio State argument out. I mean, hell, John Cooper got fired. He was winning 10 and a half games a year, 11 games. It's a different standard, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. So that's not fair. The bowl games, Michigan State games, that matters. So we know Urban Meyer has been able to turn around Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio State, in an hour. I mean, literally overnight. Okay, last year, Harbaugh's two and four. He's one and four in bowl games. He struggles with Michigan State. And, you know, I've gotten to the point where now I'm starting to theorize it. Okay. Because it's, it's and I've said, there's a number, Kirk, using 12 games as the maximum. Every college football program has a number that if they have a really good coach, they can win. Alabama's number is 11 and a half. Ohio State's is 11 and a half. Oklahoma's is 11, 11 and a half. USC's 10. They've had too many dips historically to put them. I've argued Michigan's is probably eight and a half, nine. The medical school, the law school, Ann Arbor's like Austin North. There's a lot of stuff going on. People are distracted. Uh, the academics are pretty darn hard. Socially, it's a, it's a different fit for some people. So is, 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 I guess my point is, Harbaugh's winning about, you know, your eight games. And if, now he, you would like him to win more bowl games. Has he really underachieved or are we viewing, should we flip the telescope, that if Michigan, all things considered, is about a nine-win team at its best and Ohio State's about an 11 team. Look at their recruiting the last 20 years. Maybe guys like me, and I think I've defended Harbaugh. I think my perspective has been pretty accurate that he's not going to win 11 games. Let's get out of that space. Is that, a, is that, am I wrong? I don't view Michigan as Ohio State or Alabama. I never have. It's, this is a tough one because I expect them to be Ohio State. I expect them to be judged and viewed. And their fans, I think, expect them to be viewed at that level. Urban Meyer, Jim Trestle started it. Ohio State hadn't won a national championship since 1968. Jim Trestle brought them their first championship in 2002 when they beat Miami. And from that point on, they changed their expectations. Before that, it was try to win a Big Ten, try to go to the Rose Bowl. And then right. it became... We're trying to get to the national championship every year. We know we can do it. That's the bar. We're going to get there. And Jim Trestle had obviously a, a hell of a run while he was there. And then they had a dip when he, you know, at the end of his, and then here, as you say, Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, and then here comes Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer looked around in the room at, at the players that he had on his roster. And he said, <laughs> this, this isn't right. This is, you know, we'll make do with his first year. And they were ineligible for the postseason, won all their games. But they weren't a great team as far as the personnel on their roster. And then he went to work on recruiting and he raised the bar and created a stir within the Big Ten on how he did it. I feel like when Jim Harbaugh got hired, it's been six or seven years now, when he got hired and you looked at what he did at Stanford and when you looked at what he did with the 49ers and you look at his legacy and what he did as a, as a player at Michigan and who he played for, and you combine all of that in Ann Arbor with their tradition, there's no one, including you, that said, oh, it's a good hire. Tell you what, there, you know, he'll get them eight wins. He'll get them eight wins. No way. When they made that hire and he stepped to that podium, I don't know about you, but I was like, oh, man. New 10-year war with Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh with their personalities it's on. And every time they play, 
the winner's going to the, you know, the, the championship and the loser's going to be so upset. That's what I expected every year with the hire of Jim Harbaugh based on what he had done as a coach with the 49ers, got him to a Super Bowl, what he had done even at Stanford and, and as a player. So I think we're lowering the bar by saying eh, the fans don't care as much as they do in Columbus. Dude, that's, that's as proud of a program as there is. And I don't think if you talk to a Michigan player, if you talk to Dez and said, Dez, listen, man, you know, eight wins is good for you. You should be proud of that. He would have smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> He'd be ready to brawl because, man, he he wants them to win every game they play. And so I I will always have expectations of Michigan to not to be Texas. If you want to say Texas, eh, it's, they're, they're an eight-win program. I mean, you have, you have third, other than the Mac Brown had a nice run, you know, for, for a number of years. And there were a few other Earl Campbell years, but for the most part, that's kind of what they've been. Michigan has not been like that. And so I have much higher standards. Um, I keep waiting, Colin. I keep thinking this is the year. Okay. Now, and now they'll go. And it's just, you look at the athletes at Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma and Ohio state. And then you watch Michigan and you're like, what's happening? Is it recruiting? Is it, is it, is it development? Like where's the quarterbacks? The last, tell me the last great mission. Michigan had a run of about 15 years when Brady and Greasy and John Navarre and Todd Collins, it was like one after another, after another, what, what, what was the last great Michigan quarterback? I'm going to go back to maybe Chad Henney in 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was like, you know, he was a solid, really, you know, good. He's still, I think, around in the NFL. I mean, that was 07. That was the last, like, great quarterback. Who was the last great tailback? I mean, they think about the tailbacks that they had that were first rounders Ty Wheatley, Leroy Horde, Anthony Thomas. It was just uh, Bianca Batuka. It was one after another after. Who was the last great Michigan tailback that made you hold your breath when he had the ball in his hands? I don't know, Mike Hart, maybe that was 06. And he was just, you know, he was a good college back. He didn't play in the NFL, good college back. So my point is you watch Alabama, (laughs) you watch Ohio state, you watch Georgia, you watch these teams. What was the last great back that Ohio state had last year? Was it last great back that Alabama had last year, this year. So they they've got to recruit at a very different level and they've got to develop at a different level. And I still think they can. I just kind of dumbfounded, to be honest with you, that they're not uh, at a much higher level with him um, at the helm and in charge. YouTuber, Jake Paul. All right, so here's my thing. There had to be, Jake, there had to be a moment when you just said, F it, I'm gonna go box. Like, where were you? Where was the moment? By the way, that's a big leap. That's like deciding I'm going to get on motorcycles and jump over cars. I'm, I'm going to be a daredevil. You, you got to sleep on that, right? Like, where was the moment when you decided to box? Uh, I think I was in my living room in Los Angeles, uh, like back in my Calabasas house. And these YouTubers were, you know, from the UK were saying they wanted to fight me and my brother. And I remember calling him and being like, yo, let's beat these dudes up. Like they're, they're talking shit right now. I'm, this isn't cool. Let's put an end to this. Uh, and, and that was really the moment where the next day we're training like professional boxers. So it's been a, it's been a crazy journey since then. You know, it's, and I think I told you this last time we talked, if somebody is vested emotionally, I'm in. I don't want to hear about, well, it's a shtick. It's like, no, I can I can sense a shtick. I've been doing this 30 years. I know when a guy's a, a phony. I, like, I know when a guy's just trying to get a bag. Like, I, I know that. 100%. This doesn't, I mean, you ha, you've made a great life. I can look in your house right now. You've got, you got a nice place, right? Like, that's not about that. Um, training for boxing is hard. When I was a kid in Vegas, my first job out of college, Jake, I went to Johnny Toko's gym in Vegas it is long, hard, brutal. Was there ever a moment training you thought, oh, what did I get myself into? Uh, you know, th- there's been tough moments, but 
I've never, my, my why has never been questioned. You know, I've always known why I'm doing this. And, and there's always been a motivation. I've never lacked motivation at all. There's definitely been tough moments where I'm like, man, this is, this is the hardest sport in the world. There's been moments where I'm like, this is, you know, becoming monotonous. It's the same thing day in diet day. out. Yes. It's nonstop. But I think that routine and that discipline has uh, kept me out of a lot of trouble and, and giving, you know, I've learned a lot about myself through that process and it's, and it's truly given me new hope, new inspiration and, and a lot, a lot to fight for. You are now a favorite, a betting favorite over Tyron Woodley. I think it's a mistake when UFC guys, like I think UFC is its own classification boxing's its own classification. I mean, we saw Michael Jordan try baseball. You could say, well, it's sports. It didn't work. I've seen Randy Moss try basketball. It didn't work. Like, I think you're going to win, and I think you're going to win quickly. Do you envision, you watch a ton of UFC, I'm sure. How do you envision the fight going? Or does that not even matter to you? You just go and just free flow, and you just go with what your spirit and what the – there's no game plan. Yeah, there, there's definitely a game plan that, that my coaches and I have uh, going into the fight, a, a, very, a very specific game plan. However, uh, th- this is something where, you know, we don't know how Tyron's going to come out. So we're sort of prepared for all things that, that happen uh, on the night – uh, but we have a general idea of how we think he's going to come out and how we think it's going to go. Uh, and we'll, we'll adapt from there. You know, when that bell rings, everything sort of becomes second nature and, and it's, it's like autopilot is on and you just start fighting and that's it. Okay. Zero to 10. What's his punching power? His punching power, probably like a seven and a half, eight. Okay, where's Conor McGregor's punching power? Probably, probably seven and a half, eight. Okay, so you've got to be careful. You've you've offered Conor fifty million dollars to fight. Um, when you look at Conor, where do you see his vulnerabilities? Uh, now I think you know he's just lost touch of the game. You know he he's doesn't have that motivation anymore. He's not that young, hungry fighter, uh, and. I will outwork him when and if that fight does happen. But to your point, I, I do think Tyron is almost a harder opponent than Conor McGregor uh, just because of the natural size. Conor walks around 155. Tyron walks around at 205. Uh, so, you know, this is a bigger guy, a stronger guy, a more explosive guy, I think. Uh, so in many ways – this might even be a harder fight than when I faced Conor McGregor. Former MMA champ Tyron Woodley enters the boxing ring this Sunday to take on YouTuber, turnboxer, Jake Paul. I love Jake Paul. And FanDuel Sportsbook's giving new customers exclusively a 30-to-1 odds on either fighter to win. Either one. That's right. Now's the perfect time. Give FanDuel a shot. $150 on a $5 bet. Honestly, you could win it. FanDuel's always hooking you up with exclusive odd boosts, promotions, so much more. It's why it's America's number one sports book. Don't miss out. Chance to win 150 bucks on a $5 bet. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. That's all you do. Sign up. Promo code Colin. I'm on there every day. FanDuel Sportsbook app. Check it out. Promo code Colin. C-O-L-I-N. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, 25 bucks per game. Restrictions apply. See sportsbookfanduel.com for details. Gambling problem? 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in Jersey, Virginia, Colorado. Or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests. We're gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Floyd Mayweather's interesting because I've never found him. I'm not debating he's great, but I never found him truly captivating like I did Pacquiao in his prime, uh, Roberto Duran in his prime, Sugar Ray Leonard, Hitman Hearns, Hagler, Mike Tyson. I'm old enough. I remember Foreman, Ken Norton, Ali. Could I make the argument Mayweather's not been good for boxing? He's been bad for it. I, uh, I, I agree. On, on certain levels, um, you know, he has, has brought this like weird, flashy, sort of materialistic, you know, everything's about money and strippers. And he's brought that to the sport. And that was all it knew, all the sport knew for many, many years. Uh, and I, I don't think that's really what the sport is about at the end of the day. I think we need to bring the sport back to like the epitome of Rocky. Like who is Rocky? That's that story, you know, that those underdogs uh, coming from nothing, uh, you know, the ups and downs, you know, Tyson Fury's story is even inspiring, you know, becoming the heavyweight champ, losing it all, like going through mental depression and then, you know, coming back. Those are the, those are the boxing stories that are good for the sport. Uh, Floyd, yeah, you definitely make the argument that, that Floyd's been, he's been good, but he's also been bad for sure. You know, Jake, in a weird way, sports 
is a copycat league. Like the Warriors dominated shooting threes. And then a lot of teams that didn't have good three-point shooters said, we've got to do it. Well, it works if you have <laughs> Kevin Durant, <laughs> Steph, and Clay. If you got a bunch of, you know, there, there are a lot of teams that tried to do threes and just didn't have elite shooters. And Mayweather has given sort of defensive boxing and points over power. He, did, he no longer has the power. You know that. That I think he's given sort of a license to tactically win but I don't think it's that fascinating to watch. Whereas Muhammad Ali could beat you with rope-a-dope. He could slug with Frazier and Norton. He could be a defensive fighter, a counter-puncher. Because I think sports, you watch Mayweather and you think, oh, I don't have to take many shots. I don't. You go back to the Leonard, the Hearns, the Hagler, the Duran. You had to mix it up. That, there was a badge of honor. You mixed it up. Like, you, you just wouldn't be a defensive fighter. And I think that's the part that turns me off stylistically. Does it turn you off? Do you – when I watch Mayweather, I, I think – and Pacquiao doesn't have the power he used to, but I still think Manny can hit. Manny can hurt you. Yeah, look, I mean, that's one of Floyd's biggest criticisms is boring fights. Uh, and and I, I agree. No one wants to tune in and watch a 12-round fight where it's just some pity patter back and forth and – he technically wins. People want knockouts. People want blood. People want highlight real, you know, punches and combinations. You know, they want excitement. They want people to sit there and slug with each other. They want knockdowns. And yeah, Floyd, Floyd in his biggest fights didn't really deliver any of that. Uh, so I, I agree. But again, it, the, but then where you have to give him credit is, his showmanship, you know, he brought the eyeballs, uh, he, he brought the excitement and he, and he built his brand up. And that's why people wanted to watch him even more so than his actual boxing ability. I want to bring in a guy who's not a suck up, who covers the Packers with objectivity, Tyler Dunn. I got into this discussion the other day, um, you know, psychology 101 about Aaron Rodgers with a friend. And you know, he's he's in the NFL. He's not high ranking, but he's got a good sense of the league. And it, it's kind of projecting. Aaron almost feels like he wants everybody to know that he doesn't need football. He's above it. Um, I could do Jeopardy. I like music. I like travel. I've got enough money. Um, it, it, by the way, he's had issues with his family. Their, their criticism has been he sort of acts like he's above us. Do you think his relationship now with Matt LaFleur after the NFC championship? I mean, again, I, I say this. I just feel like the handcuffs are off with Aaron. When, when he went 50-50 comment, I thought, I, I, I've got to stop being nice. Like, that's weird. I, I can't even fathom Russell Wilson saying that. Peyton Manning you know, has I four neck surgeries. You could not pull him off the field. It's. I also have a story that I'm going to I, – I will eventually say it, but I won't say it now because I have somebody I want to protect. But, you know, Aaron screwed over kind of a legendary quarterback in the last 18 months on a charity event, sort of no-showed. Um, it's you not, hear those stories a lot with Aaron Rodgers. You have? Similar, Yes. Uh, yeah, so I, I heard it this weekend, and it was from a absolutely great source. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like with Aaron, once you go 50-50, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about and report on you differently. Like, dude, you're not, you're not in Russell Wilson's class. You're not. You're not in Brady's. Like, that's just not leadership. Leadership is not telling a company, your employee base, I may be with you, I may be not. So, I just wonder, do you think he and Lafleur? how good is it? Scale of one to 10. It'll never be 10 with Aaron. It would probably be never in its best days a nine. Do you think it was dinged a little after the NFC championship? Yes. And, and just before I forget too, you're, you're right on with, I think it's kind of like that victim mentality. When you say I don't have a victim mentality, you're playing the victim card. Right. I mean, that's really what, what he did. I mean, and, in so many different ways during that press conference, um, which which you would never see out of Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. You're right. He like, went on a diatribe for like 20 minutes. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, 
you know, the relationship with Matt LaFleur, I was told by multiple players, he just kind of tolerates Matt LaFleur. You know, I don't think it's nearly as great as many in the local media would lead you to believe, you know, what's Matt LaFleur going to say at the podium? Like, of of course, he's going to say nothing but gushing, gushing things about Aaron Rodgers. Like, I I think it's fine. I think it's okay. I think Aaron Rodgers is at a point where, similar to Mike McCarthy, he's going to do what he wants at the line of scrimmage. That's what he's doing. I mean, Matt LaFleur has his offense, but Aaron Rodgers has his offense. I mean, Marquez Valdez-Scanlon told me you know, on the record when I did a profile with him this offseason. Like, there's two playbooks in Green Bay. There's Matt LaForce, there's Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers, he might audible to a play from 2014 when you were in high school. He's done that for some guys, and they don't know what the hell he's talking about. Um, also, it's a reason he won MVP. I mean, his, his, his memory is insane. There, there's nobody like it. But I do think, you know, it's a fine relationship. I think the relationship that he really does cherish is with Nate Hackett, the offensive coordinator. It's kind of described to me almost like a lovey-dovey kind of relationship. Like it's they're really, really close in the meetings. I mean, they're they're really tight. So that that's good. LaFleur, eh, Gudikins, you know, I don't think that's ever going to be repaired. I think that's that's done, that's dead. And uh I, I still think he's gone after this season. I think they're kind of playing out the string right now. I was in Vegas this weekend and I had a security guard that was taking me, you know, from place to place, which is sometimes happens when I'm at events. And he was a Packer fan and he was like a season ticket holder. And he said, Farvin Rogers, like what's in the water? He goes, explain to me why we get the guys that threaten retirement. We get these guys that hate the front office. And the only thing I could muster was, Well, there's no other team in town. It's almost a high school town, more than a college town. It's so small. And the players are, to some degree, trapped. And so there's a little bit of an angst being a Packer quarterback because you don't have a normal life. If you quarterback, even in a city like Detroit with multiple pro teams, you go about in the burbs, you can hide. So there is sort of this messiah complex in Green Bay where you are the economy, not just the quarterback, you are the economy. And it is weird. If I told you in the last 20 years, there's two quarterbacks that basically threatened retirement, were very difficult, and despite the fact they had a really good organization that drafted well, were perpetually unhappy within their organization. And it would be one team. It would be the Green Bay Packers. Do you have a theory on kind of Favre and Rodgers? Because I've said this, Aaron's becoming Brett, going public too much. I'm half in, I'm half out. I've got my own playbook. You mentioned that. So did Favre. Like, it, what is the psychology when you were at the Milwaukee Journal? Like, roll it out there because I, the, when the when the guy asked me over the weekend, that's the best I could come up with. And it is funny because that's what he despised early in his career. Hated Aaron Rodgers it. hated it. He hated how Brett Favre got special treatment, how Brett Favre had his own locker, was separate from the other guys. Like when Aaron Rodgers was the backup, he was he was one of the guys. I was an intern in Green Bay back in 06, 07, you know, still in college. I just wanted to cover the team, lived out of a, of, out of a hotel working for the Sean O'Leader, I think. And I talked to Aaron Rodgers all the time, and you could just see he was more down to earth. He was one of the guys. I mean, a lot of the younger players on that team gravitated to Aaron Rodgers, like Brett Favre's missing OTAs, stuff like that. It was Aaron Rodgers didn't like the fact that Brett Favre was seeking special treatment and got that special treatment. Um, and then he became what he despised, like I said. I mean, he became that over time. And I think a lot of it does have to do with the town. And trust me, I lived in Green Bay for five years. I freaking loved it. I could have lived there my whole life. Friends for life there. The people are amazing. You know, I don't know what he's talking about trashing it as a vacation spot, man. You got to get to Door County. It's beautiful up there. Yeah. The bluff. Unreal, unreal place to live. But I'll say this: there was my ex-girlfriend. Uh, I remember one time we went to the movies, and uh, God, what was the one with Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, I can't remember the name. But the only people at this movie were me, my ex-girlfriend, Aaron Rodgers, Seneca Wallace, and Seneca Wallace's uh, wife. I think nobody else even there. I mean, there's Green Bay in a nutshell. Like night out. That that. What he's doing. I think that lifestyle kind of gets old after a while, right? You can only have so many steak dinners at uh, at Chives and Swamico. 
he's gone through the celebrity girlfriends. He's gone through that lifestyle. He surrounds himself with celebrities. He wants that lifestyle. You're not going to get it in Wisconsin. That wraps it up for the week. We're heading into another big week here at The Volume. Make sure to subscribe and follow us at The Volume Sports on Twitter and Instagram. The Volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.